Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Kenny, and we are going to be talking about the last five chapters of Return of Condor Heroes. So, um, you know, we're going to get right into it in a moment, but, uh, you know, this is basically the part of the story where everything sort of comes together, and then you, you eventually have the, the final uh, battle at Zhangyang, and then, you know, the, the, the last chapter with the, uh, uh, the new summit at Mount Hua. So... Uh, so why don't we get right into chapter 36. Uh, this is chapter 36, the birthday celebration. In this chapter, a contest is held to determine who the new beggar chief will be. Uh, but when it seems that Yellow Chi, uh, Guafu's husband, is selected, uh, an, an unusual beggar named He Shiwo, who nobody really seems to uh, recognize all that well, uh, disputes his victory and questions his lineage. Uh, and also in this chapter, Big-Headed Ghost and Divine Eagle uh, sort of join up with Guashang and go to watch the, uh, the contest at the stage with her. And it's at this point that they uh, present three gifts to her from uh, Yangua. The first being a uh, bag of ears that... Uh, came from a bunch of uh, dead Mongolian soldiers that had uh, been dispatched to two uh, towns that are a day away. Uh, the second is uh, the blowing up of this munitions uh, that's really important for, I think, in where is it, in Nanyang? Is that where they blow up the munitions? Um, cool, but yeah, it, it, it was somewhere relatively close by. I guess it's where the main supply base of the Mongolian, of the invading Mongolian army was. And I think this was so they actually built a city within the 16 years because the siege of Shanghai was just taking that long. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and they actually built a city from scratch and used it as a, as a supply depot um, uh, for, for to, to support them in the war there. And uh, and then the the third gift is uh, Derba in a bag to. To, to, to issue punishment to, um, you know, it's revealed that he, Shiwo, is, is actually Huodu. And so uh, revenge for Chief Lu's death, because Yanguan knows that uh, Chief Lu was important to Guashang. So, I actually um, think it's more, um, so the third gift to me is probably the, the actual dog beating stick, because he presents it to her first. Okay, that's um, fair. All right. No, I think. Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I think he, the Angor, found out that um, that he, uh, Hershey War has the has the dog beating stick hidden inside, and that's why he sort of yeah, he's got unmasked it, him he, and uh... he's got it concealed in his staff, and he's yeah. um and he's been just disguised so that he can evade his disgrace for all these years. So he's uh, he's basically pretending to be a beggar, and I guess his plan is to take over Beggar Sack. Is that that's his that's his goal, and he's going to just pretend to be this ugly guy with um the dog beating stick hidden in his staff and then i don't know i guess that was going to be the ace up his sleeve so that he could uh claim uh to be the leader. yeah because i think so when he was questioning um yellow chi like saying his lineage is not correct and that he's not, uh and that you know he hasn't com uh, avenged the previous chief and that he hasn't got the dog beating stick you know he's not worthy so i think clearly his plan then was to somehow frame the murder of elder uh, of the previous of, of Chief Lu, was it? Sorry. Yeah, Chief Lu, I think it was. Chief Lu, and uh, and also coincidentally find the dog beating stick and use that as sort of ammunition to get himself uh, propelled up the ranks to to to, to, to the clan chief position. And so um, I don't know. Did you have any uh, thoughts on this chapter in particular? Any anything that stuck out at you as important or unusual? 
I wouldn't say. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed this chapter actually because I, I, the free gifts that Yang Guo gives were pretty extravagant as far as presents for a sixteen-year-old girl goes. I'd say it's a pretty dramatic gesture. I would say for sure. Yeah. Um, oh, I, I do like how Huang Rong is like really um, suspicious of what the hell is going on about everything. Like she's she's overthinking everything so much and like. Even when she sort of finds out that he is, is this not that they don't find that Yang, Yang Guo doesn't show up this chapter, does he? I think he shows up technically next chapter, but I think next chapter, uh, yeah. Huang Rong has kind of figured out the connection. Yeah, the, more the eagle hero and, probably, yeah. and yeah. And, uh, and I think she's very. I mean, it's it's like you're saying, it's be, her 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 wits become a double edged sword for her at times, and and so here she. Uh, she, you know, she, well, I, I think with within, I think it's a reasonable thing to be concerned about her. Her daughter, who's like what sixteen, is infatuated with this eagle hero, and and she's a little suspicious of, you know, like she hasn't seen Yango in all these years. But, you know, I, at this point, you feel like she should understand that Yango is a um, is is not gonna is a righteous person, but she's still kind of worried about, you know, him freaking out when he finds out that Xiaolong Nu isn't. Um, uh, is is maybe not with the divine nun, and she's also concerned that he's maybe trying to put the moves on on her daughter. Um, so she's not sure that it's a hundred percent innocent relationship. Yeah, and that add, adding to that, like the fact that he brought so many sketch not not sketchy, but people of questionable standing in in the martial world, and introduced them to her daughter. I mean, like there was the the whole bunch of people who were introduced like last chapter when they were having a mini banquet in her in, in Guoshan's bedroom, and <laughs> and all of these people bringing like ears and stuff, and you know, it it is a bit. She's in. The, I think she's right to be suspicious. Yeah, I would agree, and I apologize for that. I forgot to turn my phone off. Um, so I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and yeah, it's 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 fine for these her for her to be suspicious, but not necessarily in the way that she is. Like she's thinking that Yang Guo's got some weird reverse honeypot plan going on, <laughs> trying to. Uh, um... I well, I love that the thing that that really moves uh, Guo Zhang about Yang Guo is that he's like waiting for Zhao Long Nu all these years, and Huang Rong just thinks it's some trick to. Uh... Well, she doesn't know that um Guo Sh- like that Yang Guo has told Guo Shang everything about him and Xiao Lu. And even when she finds out, she thinks, "Oh, that must be part of his plan." That's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And she's he's... like, she, she's overprotective of her daughter, but at the same time, like, she's overthinking it really hard. Like, and it. I mean, I I, I think that's fine actually. That's a, a good character flaw to have because you know. Uh, Otherwise, like Huang Wurong is depicted as person who's like excellent at martial arts and got the wits of Zhuge Liang, right? The female Zhuge Liang is her nickname for uh, a couple of chapters ago, as mentioned. And you know, it, it, it's good that she has the floor and that she is overprotective and she thinks things, um, or she overthinks things and um, draws incorrect conclusions because she's too confident in her own smarts, basically. <laughs> No, definitely, and 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 again, I mean, it makes sense also with her background, with her father. He's definitely, you know, I mean, he grew up with like the, you know, like the embodiment of a riddle almost, and and so it's, uh, I I think that you know, just her whole character makes sense in the in the in the way that it's a sort of a, a double sided coin, uh, I I think works and it fits a lot of the themes of the story where you know the you know part of the whole point of her and uh, Gua Jing being together is they complete each other, and and I think that. You know, the idea being that, you know, it's there's sort of this thing about maybe intelligence not necessarily being the be all end all of uh, of 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 being a complete person. 
Um, and so I, I also thought that, um, you know, it was interesting that, is, you know, speaking of the father, that they mentioned here that she hasn't seen her dad in like 10 years. Which I thought was pretty interesting. Like yeah. Huang Yaoshi is just like he just like you gotta. You, I'm, I'm sort of feeling bad for Huang Rong because this is sort of this has been her problem since the first, you know, book where yeah. you know her you know her dad like she just really doesn't uh, doesn't spend much time with her at all. Uh, well, it's not like he doesn't care about her though. I think it's just one of those weird things where the father's not supposed to have much I like, guess it's supposed to be the mother's job to look after the children and the father is supposed to be aloof and uh well true but her mother died so yeah yeah so she was left with no one to look after her and her father was being all mysterious and aloof and studying the uh the the ways of um the trigrams and thousand or whatever it's mystical like magic Steven Tyler of the martial world he just kind of you know he sort of swoops in and uh and 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 swoops out as as uh you know, as he, as he wishes, um, but he lives a fabulous life. Uh, you know, and the... yeah. Because if if we go by like I, I haven't um, you know read the novel, read um, Legend of the Heroes, but if, if it's anything like the Brave Archer movies, then like he obviously cares a lot for her and will like do anything to keep her safe and like uh, and will go out of his way to try and find her if he if she if he knows that she's in danger. But unless anything happens, and he's sort of like, yeah, whatever, she can, <laughs> she can do what she well, wants. I think he keeps the tabs on her. Um, yeah, and he and he keeps his, he definitely knows what's going on. Even in this book, you see, like he shows up and and kind of saves the day. Uh, you know, when he feels his his presence is needed, uh, it's just that it's very rare for him. You know, he, you know, he he he'd be content to not not show up and say anything. It seems. Um, yeah. And so uh, I guess getting into chapter. Uh, 37 which is uh, gratitudes and grudges over three generations uh, in this chapter we have the battle between De Urba and Huodu and or she, uh, I'm sorry uh, he she because we don't quite know uh, the everything about him yet I think and then uh, De Urba smashes him with a rod and he collapses and then uh, 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 they uh, they spare uh, De Urba oh yeah, I think does does uh Yang and and Huang Yaoshi arrive. Yeah, uh, and before De Urba gets spared, because uh, De Urba smashes uh, uh, Hishiwo slash Hudu with a rod, makes him collapse, and then uh, I forget who walks up to him. I think it's Yellow. No, somebody is going to walk up to him to sort of check if he's dead. Maybe it's Guo Fu, and and then they use fin- divine finger flick to uh, to to ki- to kill Hudu for good yeah because Hordu was pretending to be dead and well it wasn't it was like on his last breath and he was thinking he could take Daraba with him mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I think it was either it was probably Guoshang or Guofu or someone like I think it was one of the females who was coming close to try and examine the corpse uh when um when da, when Hordo basically launches his last hurrah at them and is saved by uh, Wang Yaoshi and Yang Guo at the same time, using the same technique. Um, and then... Um, yeah, and then they both sort of float down from like a 60-foot pole or whatever. <laughs> and then Derb is spared, but he has to agree not to uh, come to the Central Plains again. Um, yeah. And uh, And then... Yangua and Huang Yaoshi arrive, and then they depart together. Uh, and uh, and they even have like a nice little one-liner as they're. Dep- I forget what they say. Like I don't, you know, we don't like to be constrained. Like basically, don't you know, just <laughs> leave us alone. Um, 
and uh, and and however, uh, Gua Xiang learns a little bit more about Yang Guo right after he leaves, and she's concerned that he's going to learn that uh, Divine Nun doesn't exist, and so she goes after him to prevent him from committing suicide, which is what she thinks he's going to do. And uh, you know, as she's trying to find him, uh, you know, she 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 bumps into Jin Lun, you know, who just says he's some monk. And, you know, he, he, he says, oh, yeah, I'll take you to her. And then they bump into uh, Big Headed Ghost and Long Bearded Ghost, and Jin Lu just kills them for their horses. And, uh, and, and uh, Gua Xiang feels hatred for the first time and is uh, basically abducted by Jin Lu at this point. And, um, and then. Not, not for the first time either. <laughs> no, not for the. No, she, well, she's, she's a very forgiving character. Um, and, uh,. And and then at a tea house with uh, Huang Yaoshi, uh, Yangor learns that you know Divine Nun might not exist, and so he goes to Iron Spear Temple to lay his father's bones to rest. And there he sees um, Sky Flying Bat uh, Kei Jenna, uh, who's dealing with these th- these guys that are all shackled together that used to be prisoners at Chongyang Palace, and he's supposed to be bringing them the the nine flowered uh, dew pills and. Uh, and there he learns from uh, from Sky Flying Bat sort of the full history of his father, and he erects a new uh, a new headstone to his dad, and and then he goes to search for Guo Zhang in the Mongolian camp because he learned from Sky Flying Bat that she was missing, and when he doesn't find her, he then goes to Passionless Valley for his appointment with Zhao Longnu, and uh, and so I don't know uh, any thoughts on this chapter. This chapter had kind of a lot of meat to it, I think. Um, mm. Yeah, it's it, it's well, it's interesting how coincidental it was that when Yang Guo goes to the Iron Spear Temple, it's just when uh, Sky Fang Bat and the and those prisoners worship there. You know, the people who knew the truth about the incident were able to actually explain it to him. Yeah, no, um, there's a lot of really coincidental stuff in this in, in this whole series. People just kind of in in the, in the genre, yeah. I guess, as well. It, it's it's part part of the uh, the charm, and you say ah, as if that's going to happen. But I'll spend disbelief just because it's cool. Well, and, and you know what? I kind of the thing that ends up working well about it is when once you don't worry about that, it's all fine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's one of these things that sometimes maybe we get too hung up on. Like, you know, like the character walks out of their house and they meet who they need to meet in order for the next thing to happen. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, that, that I like, I like the, I like when he goes to, um, to the Iron Spear Temple again and, and he, and number one, he sees the grave of his father and the, the headstone reads unfilial disciple Yang King's grave inscribed by useless teacher Tui Chuji. So, you know, he's a, it's sort of like just this, you know, further insults on his dad's name and he still doesn't quite know the whole story, but then he he sees uh, Kei Jenna and the uh, and the, the the Shackle brothers, and uh, and he uh, and he talks to Kei Jenna, and I, I thought this was a great moment for a Kei Jenna who's really just sort of like so unafraid of Yango's reaction. He's just like, I'm going to tell you everything there is about your father, and, and he just doesn't he doesn't care. You know, Yango is initially mad, but then when he realizes the guy is just being honest, he's he's actually a little bit thankful, and this is the first time that anybody's really given him the full story. He's always gotten vague details like, you know, your father, I think, I think the most he's really gotten is, Oh, your father recognized a villain as his dad, which is, yeah, which is gorging talking yeah, about it. Yeah. yeah. Which is like, oh. what's that supposed to mean? Like that's, that's, you know, it doesn't really give him a whole lot of clarity. And, <laughs> and so he, he finally, I think realizes just how bad his dad was. And, yeah. 
any uh, he erects a new headstone that reads um, my father Lord Yang Kong's grave by his unfilial son Yang Guo which is I think uh, you know kind of a clever a really clever approach because uh, you know and it, and it obviously pleases uh, Kei Jena who 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 says well yeah you're, I guess I guess if you're gonna be unfilial like that's the that's the father to be unfilial to was sort of how yeah. I was reading it. Um, yeah. So it was a, it, I don't know. It was a, I thought, the, I thought it was a nice way to, uh, to, to wrap that up. Um, but we also learned some, uh, some interesting things about Jin Loon this chapter. We learned number one, that he can cry at will. Um, yeah. His acting skills have improved to another level. Like he's, he's always done this thing of like pretending to sort of, be a good person doesn't he like i think it's something in the past as well like he's fooled people into thinking that oh he's a decent person and he's not going to do anything bad but he always just ends up like being a villain like shortly afterwards and people are always surprised like (gasps) well he's a monk so he's probably going to learn how to play that game because he's supposed to walk around not killing people and stuff and he you know he just clearly is not uh uh hung up on that i don't know do you do do do, uh tibetan monks subscribe to that philosophy I think so. I'm pretty sure. Um, I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm not, I'm not up to date a hundred percent on t- Tibetan Buddhism, but I would assume that it doesn't deviate that much from, uh, no. uh, no. and, uh, probably not, but, uh, but we also learned that he, uh, he, he's broken through the 10th level of, I think it, they call it different things, different points in the book, but I think it was like the L, uh, dragon elephant moving skill or something like that. Um, but, yeah, but I, I like that they the, the idea it. that um, you could almost move an elephant with his kicks and, <laughs> and stuff, right? So, so we just know he's got some really serious kung fu chops at this point, and that's important because he's he's he he wants to pass his kung fu on to somebody, and he can't. He's a uh, um, he's a he's a monk, and so he has no children, and. Uh, to Urba is you know can't you know is sort of useless anyways but is now sort of you know not going to be even returning to the central plains well he, he, he was a prisoner for all those years I'm sorry he, he, um, da, da Urba was a prisoner for all like the past 16 years basically mm. because uh, he, he was captured after um, Hordo's betrayal and uh, and Hordo was obviously now dead <laughs> Yeah, yep, yeah. and uh, and 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 well, and Hordo uh, was also was. Does he know that Hordo's dead at this point, or is that because that just happened, right? That just happened. So I think he's probably not aware yet. But he, but he basically, you know, just you know, the guy betrayed him, so he doesn't want anything to do with him, anyways. And uh, mm-hmm. and so he, you know, he just you know lamenting that like his first disciple is dead is you know. Uh, 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 De is kind of just not a, you know, he's okay, but he's sort of a simpleton. And, uh, and, and, and Hudu is just not a good person. And so, um, and so he, he begins thinking of the idea of making, uh, Gua Xiang his disciple. And he's, and the thing that's interesting is the things about her that is impressed, that are impressing him are, are, are her good quality, like her, 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 her are the qualities that he himself does not have. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, so that's, and we'll, when we get to the chapter that deals with the finale, we'll get to sort of, you know, why that's important, but uh but yeah so i don't know uh, and i'm trying to think if there's anything else of note in this chapter that we we should be talking about um well i think the the main thing was yang finding out about his father the truth about his father and sort of making peace of that and 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 putting a new headstone in place 
Um, other than that, I think uh, I oh, and also finding out about um, Shadow New not not following the divine nun, but we've already spoken about that. Which uh, which brings us to the next chapter, which is chapter thirty eight: Life and Death Are Boundless. And in this one, everybody basically kind of goes back to Passionless Valley, uh, to where Zhao Longnu might have jumped off that cliff. Uh, we have uh, uh, Jin Lun has still got uh, Gua Zhang, and she convinces him to go to Passionless Valley, basically by taunting him that he can't beat Yangua, and she knows where Yangua is going to be, and so they, you know, they 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 uh, they agree to go there. And this is also the chapter we learn that he really wants to pass on his kung fu, and that he's. Uh, consider, he really wants uh, uh, Gua Xiang to be his disciple and she refuses um, we also follow Huang Rong and she she eventually finds um, uh, Zhu Batong and Reverend Ridang and Yingu and she learns that they've all become beekeepers but she finds some of Zhao Longnu's bees and they've got messages tattooed on their wings that say yeah. uh, you know I'm at the bottom of a passionless valley Uh and, uh, in pieces, like over several bees as well. Yeah, yeah, because it well, it's their very tiny little wings. <laughs> it's, it's a bee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, there, there's all kinds of issues with that plot device, but I think it's like a really sort of interesting, elaborate thing that that you know uh, that could only happen in a story like this. And um, and so they so they all everybody decides to go to Passionless Valley, and Yangua gets there and he ends up jumping into the gorge. And Gua Zhang arrives just as he's doing that, and she follows. And uh, Reverend Jin Lun uh, tries to grab her, but he, you know, he, I think he uses like his golden hooks or something, and he, he just barely, uh, you know, holds on. And then her clothing, like a like a little f- piece of her of her gown or something, uh, rips off into his hands, and she she falls in. And that's when all the other heroes arrive, and they just think that he must have killed her. Um, and so there's a big fight with uh with Jin Lun one of the eagles swoops down and brings uh Gua Zhang back up and she tells them that Yang Guo is down at the bottom of the gorge and uh and uh they they decide to to go into the gorge after they've frozen Jin Lun's acupoints uh but while while they're in the gorge looking for Yang Guo uh she uh she's tricked by Jin Lun who pretends to be in considerable pain and he convinces her to tap a couple of his acupoints and uh and he you know grabs her and flees and yeah that, that turns out he can shift his acupoints at, not at will but like just slightly to the point slightly enough that he he, he can sort of make a tap the wrong acupoint just by tensing or whatever he's doing there and uh and, and i think we got a glimpse of that in the previous chapter too because i think Gua Zhang tried to freeze his acupoints and it didn't succeed. Oh yeah, it's when when um, they were asleep or when he was sleeping, mm. um, she tried to they tap his acupoints and then run away. But somehow um, Jinnum was in front of her sleeping on a tree when she thought she'd finally gotten free of him. Yep, yep. Um, and uh, yeah, he did this weird. Yeah, it was a very odd thing where she keeps trying to run away and he's just like sleeping in the road and just hanging. And it's just a. It's a very sort of surreal kind of uh, martial master is is coming to get you. Um, I don't know. What do you What do you think of this chapter? Any Any thoughts on it? Any? Um... I thought the bee thing was pretty cool. To be fair. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought the I thought the bee thing was really interesting. It was um, clever. Like 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 you said, it's completely impractical, and uh, you have you have to suspend disbelief a little bit to make it work. But the the concept itself was pretty 
funky and, and and i like the fact that del Patron, after all these years is still like having fun with bees <laughs> yeah no it, it works with his character i can really picture him as a as a beekeeper and i yeah. like that the, the the messages on the like i think he even knew that they had characters on them but he never pieced them together right like that uh, like, he never cared i guess yeah. like it was just like oh that's funny and then go, go back <laughs> Uh, and I do like the fact that you know um, Yiling and Dingu and Double uh, Tonga are now all living together at this um, term the name of the valley now, like what five no hundred flower valley or whatever it was. I can't remember, but they got it, it's almost like a Winnie the Pooh type situation. Like it's just like a nice little uh, idyllic uh, homestead. It seems. Where yeah, they're, they're... with plenty of flowers and bees and stuff. <laughs> so, so it's, it's yeah. very charming, and it's an, I think it's a nice place for them to to retire as uh yeah. and um and and set aside any grudges that might exist so yeah it's a, it's a nice it, it gives closure to those characters um, yeah and i guess another thing is like so um you know we, we, by this point we can already sort of guess who's tattooed that stuff on the bees given that we we know who can control the bees and who <laughs> rears them right so oh. we can, it's not a spoiler if i say that it's shallow news tattooing the bees of, with, with her location but my question is like i so i'm trying to sh- we'll probably talk about it a bit more when we get on to um, the next part is how how did the bees how did she rear the bees how did they fly out i thought she was at the bottom of like a cliff and in a tunnel like uh, you know sort of like how you have it behind the waterfall type things yeah. that's what i'm sort of visualizing like a, a, a weird sealed off cavern yeah. but maybe i'm a I'm, I've always been a little unclear on exactly what the geography is there and what the hurdles are to leaving. Because at one point they describe it like, well, to get there, you have to dive down from the top so that the yeah. forest can get you. Because it's a really deep lake and you have to get really far down so you can get into that cave. But I could have sworn they said that they were like the bees were all outside of the lake. So, yeah. Uh, and so I, I don't know. I, uh, I'm not 100% certain. but uh, And also I'm wondering you know bees don't have a very long life so this yeah i, I, I was also thinking like their range as well their flight yeah. range like how far away is passionless valley supposed to be from the hundred thou valley yeah I, I don't know i mean it, I'm, I'm assuming it's at least days it's got to be at least that length <laughs> days of time, yeah uh, bees don't range days away from their <laughs> hive do they so but, i'm sure those things where yeah, but... I, I will say they do mention this is a unique species of bees so oh, that's true the, yeah i guess the you know the the you know it's it's everything's wide open um well i mean this is a species of bees with the poison that is lethal and also the honey that is like a a, a, an elixir that cures all poison (laughs) yeah yeah there's a lot going on with these bees this is like deus ex b basically (laughs) (laughs) but uh but then we get to the uh to the big battle at the end this is so like after jin loon takes uh Guajang, the the heroes start looking for her for a while, but they 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 return to Zhang Yang because the the Mongols attack, and and here we have um, the uh, the Mongol attack being led by Monke Khan himself, and uh, and you know during the fight uh, you know there's this glorious scene where where Huang Rong and Guajing are sort of up on the on the wall of the city and they're uh, and they're just overlooking the battle and and commanding from there and. And uh, during the battle, the, the Khan is, is forced to retreat, and then they erect that tower with uh, the dried grass on it, and uh, everybody discovers that Gua Zhang is on top, and uh, Jin Lun is before it threatening to burn the tower. And it's sort of this very dramatic 
sequence where the the heroes uh, they sort of they go out to 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 save her, but there's you know initially Guo Jing is very you know just let her burn like you know like you know the, 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 he doesn't want to give in to the enemy's tactics, and uh, Huang Yaoshi ends up doing this really cool twenty eight star formation thing that requires all five masters and it and the ta- and it, and like each each one commanding eight thousand soldiers who are who are sort of representing one of the five elements and it's, it's really elaborate. It's a really, it's a really elaborate, uh, ta- battle tactic, uh, which we'll get into when we talk about the chapter in depth. But during this sequence is when there's sort of like a, I guess a flashback or something where they go back to the scene with Yangor at the bottom of the, um, of the gorge. And you see that, uh, you know, uh, uh, how, how he is, uh, uh, how he he and Guajang uh, meet each other there, and he tries to help her, uh, you know, get you know the, when she she gets really cold from being in the lake, and so he tries to help her recirculate her chi, and then the eagle takes her up. But then we learn more about uh, what happens to Yango and how why he wasn't at the bottom of the gorge. He he uh, he he goes to the to to a a deep uh, cavern beneath the lake, and there he finds. Uh, what, something that looks a lot like the ancient tomb that he used to live in, and he and he uh, reunites with Xiao Longnu, who's been in there for sixteen years, and it turns out she was cured by a combination of fish, jade, honey, and cold, and and so then they decide to to go and 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 deal with the world for a little while, and and there's a and and so there's a you know big uh, finale at Zhangyang where. Um, Eventually, uh, Yang Guo and Zhao Longnu uh, return for the fight, and there's an interesting moment at the battle where we have different, like different versions of the book. Like there's been three different editions, and each edition kind of deals with this one crucial plot point differently. And the plot point is exactly how Guo Zhang is saved from that tower. In one of the versions, Yang Guo and Zhu Batong save her, but in the third edition, Jin Lun. Uh, sacrifices himself in order to save her and uh she becomes you know he, he asks her to call him master and she calls him master twice and he dies and at the end of the chapter uh yangua kills the khan with a i think he throws a stone at him and yep. then the heroes all agree to go to mount hua and uh and and so i don't know what, what did you think of this chapter? this is like the big chapter uh it is the big chapter it's the uh, uh, closing of many um yeah, plot points and uh, and 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 wraps it up quite nicely, actually. I think like it, it's still a bit, you know, iffy that Yang Guo manages to kill the Khan. Um, it's one of those things where it's like, well, it's not. It doesn't seem likely that a martial hero can charge his way through thousands of Mongol soldiers and then throw a rock at a Khan and kill him. <laughs> but, <laughs> but if anybody can do it. I would say Yango is one of the few people that could. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I do like though that you get a real sense of the math involved, like a real sense of like one martial hero is like the equivalent of this many soldiers in the uh, in the setting, and you get you also realize like uh, the martial heroes are kind of like tanks. They're like tanks and generals combined in uh, in, in in these scenarios, and 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 while having like you know fourteen martial heroes it still isn't enough like you know an army still matters it it can you know like one martial hero can you know is is like the equivalent of like 400 men 
Do you know what I mean? Like, like one yeah. really good martial hero is, is a substantial force. Um, and so it, you, you just get the sense that there's a, there's a, there's an internal logic to, to how, how the, uh, how these battles are playing out. Um, but... I do like, uh, yeah, I, I, I do sort of find it interesting that the formations that Huang Yaoshi was using needed to have like five, um, you know, uh, st- strong martial heroes or people who are skilled in martial arts at least um, to be a leader. No, well, well, that what was so cool about that was it was like he was blending martial arts and and battle tactics and traditional soldiery. So it's like it's like he was bringing he was bringing sort of like a martial hero's understanding of fighting and then applying it to the battlefield. And then yeah. it's just this glorious thing where you know, like the guy, like like they're representing the five elements. The guys who represent fire have like flamethrowers and are like primitive flamethrowers, but they were described as like flamethrowers. And and Huang Rong is leading the division that represents water, and she's spraying poison uh, at people with hoses. And it's <laughs> it's really uh, you know uh, epic. The like you just picture this this massive. Uh, sort of, uh, uh, you know, um, like Taoist, uh, like uh, what's it called? The ba- Bagua? Is that the name of it? The I think this one is like Chiman Dunja, right? It's the one that they mentioned a lot. Um, it, it's about all about the, the life and death gates, basically, which kind of is just a Bagua, I guess. Yeah. But you know, but you know, and, and I don't know, I, I don't know enough about it to sort of uh, conjure up the visual image. But I just have this image of sort of this symbology being used on the and, and sort of becoming like like I see shapes on the battlefield, like that are meant to reflect these principles, and mm. and just I don't know the the vision of like you know just the the you know the, the you know spraying poison with hoses and having you know you know massive jets of fire is uh, you know you know but and being led by these these legendary heroes that we've been following for the, these two books is, is great. Um, and, and supposedly, um, you know, using flamethrowers and stuff, uh, and this sort of formation stuff was all sort of originated from, um, you know, the, the free kingdom period, but Zhuge Liang was, a, uh, sort of, uh, rumored to be able to do that sort of stuff, right? He had his, uh, war machines, which could spew fire, and uh, and he used like rock formations to 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 uh, mislead entire armies and stuff, right? Well, and you have I, I've seen like um, reconstructions of, of of what those sort of technologies might have been like. I don't know I don't know how accurate it is, but they look super cool when you see them. Like yeah, it's, it's fascinating. I, I, that... I imagine it's a bit like a, a bit of artist uh, um, liberalness going into that. What, what, maybe one of these days we'll do like a technology edition of the podcast but like uh the, like uh, there's again i'm not i'm not as uh i'm not a uh i don't know a whole lot about uh what do they call it um physical culture but i think that uh you know just the stuff that i've seen has really been surprising sometimes um and so that's what it was in my head when i'm picturing the flamethrowers i'm picturing these things that i've seen sort of woodcut images of um and I don't know, it just it was a super cool scene. I thought, and I also thought it was great to have Huang Yaoshi in that role. Like that was a perfect moment. It makes for perfect his... sense. Like it, it, he spent all these years sort of studying obscure things, like Taoist, not not Taoist magic, but it, it essentially amounts to like 
numerology, astrology, that type of stuff. And and yeah, you know, this is his moment to shine. Like he he studied the. So it was also interesting to to, to note that he was inspired by the um, the seven star formation um, that uh, that um, the Wudan people were using. Uh, uh, Quan Zhen, yeah, yeah, and you know, as a result of seeing how well they sort of um, put the formation together, inspired them to use our twenty-eight stars. (laughs) Yeah, you can sort of see the like you can imagine his wheels turning on that one. Um, Yeah, there's a and um and also there's uh well there's a couple other things I want to talk about. I don't want to forget either of them, but the the first one is just that you know we have the whole reunion with Yangor and Jialong news. So that's obviously important. Oh yeah. And uh <laughs> and and we learned that uh she like hasn't aged at all and he's got like gray hair and looks, you know, he looks older. The the the, the you know grief from the separation has aged him. And uh and she's been sort of just, you know, you know, living in like a cold cave and preserving her youth this whole time. So, well, a... and it's not unfounded because we we were told at the very beginning that her um, the Jade Maiden Heart Sutra that she practices, you know, it was all about there was the suppression of emotion and and according to her uh, her master's theories was that emotion was what causes one to age and as long as you show no emotion then. You don't age. I mean, which sort of makes sense to me. I mean, like even in real life, if you tell someone that it's someone who's not stressed and who is perfectly like sort of zen with life, they they don't tend to like yeah you know, show much signs of aging, right? They they won't have as many wrinkles because they're not frowning as much or whatever. Well, that's what I've always heard. I've always heard like if you like smile a lot, like you'll get like you know like the lines yeah. will sort. Of, I don't know. I don't know anything about crow's feet and stuff, right? Yeah. yeah so. <laughs> so what, what, what women fear? Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if that's the actual cause of them or not. But I mean, that's what I've always heard from people. So it seems like a you know a fair bit. Of... If, if your face doesn't move, then <laughs> yeah. uh, you'll you'll never age. Yeah. So if you just keep perfectly still, I mean, it's an interesting idea, and it definitely works in the context of the story. And she's got like a whole practice that she. It's not just like oh, don't smile. It's like a philosophy that she's supposed to live by. And that's kind of how she passes the time in the cave, is my impression. And plus, uh, she also has like all this nutritious stuff that she's eating, like yeah. fresh fish from the from an untainted, uh, clean water source, well, uh, and like honey as well. Like honey is supposed to be good for the for complexion, right? Well, and I think there's definitely something to the fish because we have a community around here that was a fishing community, and they used and they used to always observe that the children from this community were super healthy, and 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 they think it was because of the heavy fish diet. So you know, well, I, fish is all that all the, all the omega three oils and stuff, yeah. right? So yeah, not not going into the science of her her diet or whatever, but it, it, to me, it makes sense that she doesn't age as much because I think she's probably takes better care of herself than Yang Guo did throughout the sixteen years. To be honest, he was living with an eagle and like throwing himself into a salty sea. Now that's another thing as well. Like he was drenching himself in seawater day on day for true. much of the sixteen years. And I can't imagine what sort of damage that would have done to his hair. Well, and just the arthritis from all the. <laughs> the action he's seen like like he's been he's been living a very self-destructive lifestyle and and it seems like she's been kind of just you know basically living peacefully in this cave without without any stresses from other people or any so you know she's just kind of been living a calm life and uh and you know slowly curing herself obviously which you know you know again we learned was the jade honeybee the the fish in the cold um so you know she she ended up right exactly where she needed to be in order to be cured but there was an interesting comment that she made where if he had just gone to the gorge and simply wept because she wasn't there and then went home, uh, 
rather than dived into the gorge and tried to commit suicide, they never would have been reunited. So yeah, because uh, they were saying that uh, only because Yang Wu dived down did he go deep enough into the lake to see that there was an entrance way somewhere else, like a, a light or whatever on the other end, uh, which prompted him to try and dive down and swim. Because otherwise, like, I think the the water pressure or whatever and the coldness of the water would have dissuaded anyone else from trying to explore it already. I think that was mentioned by Huang um, Rong, right, who yeah, tried to swim she... in the water and uh, she couldn't. Yeah, she tried to go in and she couldn't do it because it was too cold and she couldn't get deep enough. And it was his diving in there that like led him to realize how, uh, you know, that he could get you know into that cave. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I thought that was a, uh, it it was a, um, it was a cool, uh, it was a cool reunion. Um, and I thought it was cool. like, well, actually, actually, also answer the question of why she chose sixteen years. Like, uh, yeah, I, I know that Huang Rong made the stupid excuse that oh, the nun only comes to the mainland once every sixteen years. But yeah, I, I liked um, Shadow News logic that you know eight years might might not have been enough um, for Yang Guo to forget her, so she chose sixteen. Um, it still wasn't enough. <laughs> no, it wasn't enough. I mean, I guess she underestimated just how much uh, Yang Guo loved her. Um, and it's kind of interesting that why, why she chose things that are multiples of eight. Um, I guess eight is also one of those numbers which is quite prevalent in, uh, in Taoism. And uh, do you know, do I wonder what eight represents? Is there a um, well? You say the Bagua. There's the, the, the eight, eight directions, the eight uh, eight trigrams. But does it have a specific meaning itself, or no? It's um, it's it's just one because. Um, it's just one of the numbers that's that shows up quite often in in, in literature, I think. Mm. Yeah, no, it was, it, yeah, because it was you know eight and then sixteen, um, and uh, but yeah, I, I don't know, I I, I I liked the reunion, I uh, and and the the other thing I I wanted to talk about just because I'm afraid we're gonna forget it is the the different versions of the ending, and uh, and Jin Loon's death, and 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 sort of. I don't know. Number one, which one did you prefer? Because in in the in the earlier editions, I guess he doesn't he doesn't behave selflessly towards Guoshang, and in the third edition, he kind of gets a moment of redemption before he dies and he sacrifices himself. I don't know. Like I, I, I found myself thinking about that quite a lot, and I, I'm not really sure because on one hand, like I I I I, I like people re- trying to redeem themselves. But on the other hand, it's like, is it necessary for him to be? Like I mean. Why can't evil people just be evil at the end of the day, right? Do they need to have that much of like a, a deep uh, sort of conflict within themselves of between like whether they should be good or evil? Can they not just be greedy and self-serving? And uh, that's why so I, I, I would be, I would be happy with either ending. Um, I I'm I'll probably just say like you know since the author decided to change it to in the third edition to him being selfless and that's fine that's fine by me but if it, if he had kept it as the original with him being selfish and then and then ultimately getting caught up in the falling tower that would have also been fine by me well and i don't know how much i would say it makes it's like a full redemption it's more it's i guess i mean i guess they could have just like it, it you're sort of right like, like he could have just um died the same way hoodoo died and it would have been fine. You know, he's a perfectly serviceable villain. There's no reason to sort of make him a good guy all of a sudden. And sometimes I think it's a bit cheesy when they have those redemptive arcs, like, out of nowhere. 
I think where with his character where it works, and again, I don't know how much of this is the different editions warring because I don't know how much of this stuff. Like I, I, we don't know exactly how many of these seeds were also added in the revision process that we were reading, but I liked how it tied with his loss of disciples and his desire to have his kung fu live beyond himself, and so it was this. It it, it seemed like a natural outgrowth of that, and it seemed like a natural outgrowth of his connection with Guoxiang, but I don't know that it necessarily meant anything beyond his relationship with her. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that he was going to do that for anybody else in that moment. I think it was just that one character who he had developed an attachment to. Um, so to me, it's almost more than a redemptive arc. It just is sort of more of like a character rounding arc. It kind of makes him feel more like a believable person. Um, mm who's just not, you know, he's just not just, you know, constantly twirling his mustache, which is fine. Again, in this genre, you can have must, mustache twirling villains, and I think it works totally fine. Um, but I kind of, he's such a powerful villain. I like that he's got this this uh, trajectory where all of his disciples leave him one way or another, and he's sort of, really because of his own actions, he's just alone with all this great kung fu, and he can't do anything with it. And that's like the, the, the ultimate tragedy of Reverend Jin Moon. Um, and, and I, I feel like the final moment he gets with her, uh, it highlights that and it just kind of, uh, but it's interesting cause he does change it and he's kind of, I guess in a way it's almost like pulling a George Lucas, like, like you're oh, a hand shot for hand shot first thing, right? Yeah. It's, it's like a, um, it, 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 it like if, if like I can imagine if I grew up on like the first edition or the second edition, I'd probably be royally pissed that they, they made such a huge change to the, uh, to the Jin Loon character, you know, it, it, and, and I, and, and there's, a, and it seems like there's a number of these little changes in the different revisions. So, um, so I don't know. I mean, it's, it's probably not quite as bad as George Lucas because those are usually, a lot of times those were sort of snuck in in various editions. And you're like, wait a second, it wasn't always like that. And so I think these were more like... It, it, it's more also more edition. understandable in this sort of... In, in, in the way he edited this as well, because we have to remember, these are released as, as newspaper publications. So the chapters were just printed, and I imagine they had to write yeah keep writing these as they were being printed so he didn't necessarily have enough time to maybe get what he wanted and he just had to churn out the stories as they as the ideas come into his head sort of like how we have web novels nowadays doing that um and and when you're doing it on on like a weekly or or or, probably not daily it's probably probably was a weekly public uh, weekly um printing Uh, it leaves you limited time to put out all these interesting sort of character arcs um and it, take, it takes a lot of work to keep, to keep keep track of all your plot points as well, which may be why some sometimes things seem, might seem a little bit disjointed as well in the story. Like like what I keep mentioning about the the five venom manual thing, which never came into play after it was mentioned that one time. Uh, to, that, to credit to him, he did mention it and said it was useless at that by that point because the the poison had already been in gotten into Shadowney's organs or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know. It, 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 but by the time you get around to compiling everything and reading it all through in one go, maybe that's when he realized, oh, I could do so much better with this, and I can perfectly understand like uh, this is his work, and he wants to make the best version of the work he can for the yeah. readers. And I can also see why people reading it would be upset that that these that these little changes happen. But ultimately, I, I'd say that you know the 
the writer is God in, in when it comes to their own work, right? So <laughs> they can yeah. ch- they, they they should be allowed to change it however they want. And um, you know, I, I I think too. Yeah, I think it's like you said, it's his book, and he can sort of do what he wants with it. And I think I think people get more upset about the changes to the, that the shows make than the changes he's made to the. Uh, the story but i don't know I'm, I'd, I'd be I'd certainly be interested in hearing from people if anybody objects to the third edition redemption arc that jin loon gets way in um we'd certainly like to hear from you um but uh is there anything else this chapter that we are we are overlooking or uh not getting into I, I, I thought it was cool how Angua threw the stone at the end to kill him. Like he, he figured out all, like you know, all these, all these kung fu techniques and all these, uh, yeah, all, all his skills. And ultimately, what it came down to was chucking a rocket really hard at the car. Well, and I like that they're that the characters are that, and like, it's it's to to have a character that directly, a fictional character that directly, commit a historical action. Do you know what I mean? Like a. Like and again, when I when I when when I looked it up, I think Monkey Khan was um was I think most likely died of dysentery, but he might have been killed by an arrow or something in battle. Like it's a little bit unclear, um, but he basically you know died in camp of dysentery. They think, um, but you know this is still within. If if he was killed by an arrow, it's not that far of a leap from an arrow to a stone thrown by Yangua. But, well, you we, we have David and Goliath in in, in the biblical uh, stories, don't we? So, in this case, you know the the massive Mongol army was defeated by the 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 brave martial hero of the stones. <laughs> but but I like how 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 much the the writer is is just engaging with the history and using it freely and not feeling constrained by it, um, and and making it still feel believable. Like they're, they're treated like he. I just feel like he fully takes ownership of these historical characters that he's using. And it's just like, well, it's just like a character like any other. It doesn't, they don't feel different from the other characters when you're dealing with them. Um, and, and speaking of like historical influences, like, do you think like Yang Guo, Yang Kang and Yang, Yang Tieshin were sort of, uh, um, based on or descended from the, um, the Yang general family? Yeah, no, they're supposed they, to be. They're actually supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, they're supposed to be. That's why they're named Yang, I believe. I think that they're... Um, I, I forget which general, but there's, they're descended from a historical general of the Yang family. So not even right, one okay. of the... Like, some of the generals are legendary or there's, you know, they're not sure. But it's a person who's like a historical uh, Yang, I believe. And and I think... My... Again, my, my, my amateurist interpretation has always been that the... Uh, um, that you know, one of the characters is descended from a historical figure. One is descended from a fictional, uh, sort of legendary figure, and that's the. Uh, uh, it's kind of like the coming together of myth and history, and legend and history, and fiction and history. And I think that's what makes one of the things that makes it so fun. Um, you know, like it's not it's not overly reverent to the history. I mean, he definitely respects the history, but like you know, you have like you know, historical figures kind of doing silly things occasionally and. Uh, and it's fine. It, 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 it makes it makes them more believable having them. Yeah, and, the and sort of like, like and another series that sort of does this is like a step to the past. Or if you want to stay in like sort of Jin Yong's uh, uh, universe, like we have uh, the Duke of Mount Deer, which 
you know, it's based on the Unix interactions with an emperor, right? Mm-hmm. So it, a lot of these sort of major events that happen are obviously based in history, but how it came about and all the characters that were involved and how they how uh, what their roles were in that historical event changes, and 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 you can really sort of appreciate um, you know how much thought that he's put into it to make it all sort of work out and stitch it all together. Which I, uh, I, I that's well, that's one of the reasons why I also really like his works is because they seem believable like exaggerated believable i'd say yeah yeah i feel like i don't know what it is it's it's like he does something to the character like i i very rarely when i do when i when i whenever i read historical fiction i feel like most writers have a really hard time dealing with the characters i used to read a lot of historical roman fiction there's like a lot of murder mysteries set in rome and a lot of you know like like the i claudius series and things like that as well uh which i think is an is an example of really good use of historical fiction and i think where that book is similar to the um to the lewis cha stuff is he's not afraid oops sorry about that he's not afraid to make a stately austere character a little bit like your fun uncle do you know what I mean? Or a little bit like, you know, he he's willing to turn it into a character for the purposes of the book, uh, taking all the elements that are still true to that character, but 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 making them a character nonetheless. And a lot of a lot of times when I'm reading, uh, you know, something set in history, as soon as that historical figure that's important walks into the room, it's like every everything changes. The whole book changes to accommodate this historical figure because we have to we have to sort of you know we have to treat it as this special thing. And so I, it just here it's 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 a little bit more natural feeling. Um, I don't know why, but I was just thinking that the first thing that came to mind was like the Abraham Lincoln Vampire Slayer movie that came out a while well, back. No, that's that. It's an, I think it's an, a comparable thing because he has. It would be like to a, to like an American the kinds of figures that he sort of you know brings into the story would be like having Abraham Lincoln or George Washington sort of show up and you know, uh, but in a very different you know seeing a very different sort of side of the character. Um, yeah. You know. So, so I, I guess that's that's probably the closest equivalent we'll ever come to with the founding fathers is is Abraham Lincoln, uh, vampire killer. Um, but uh, but yeah, but but I do think I Claudius is a really you know, and I am I always mention I Claudius, but I think it's a really good example because in that Augustus is sort of treated as an avuncular kind of guy, like he's got like a um, he he's just a really sort of interesting character the way that he's presented in that book and the same thing with Livia she's this really sort of conniving uh devilish character and uh you know it's uh it's really sort of fun use of history so and i and I, that's sort of what i see going on here um but uh but yeah so i don't know i i thought this was a you know phenomenal chapter this 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 final battle is like the big big moment in the book and uh and it, it really didn't disappoint me at all. Um, so, you know, it's a, uh, it's a, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a, I, I, I think for me, the, the, the peak scene is that, that formation that Huang Yaoshi is doing. That is the, uh, the, the really impressive part of the chapter for me. Um, but then we get like a nice epilogue with the, uh, the summit of Hua Shan chapter 40. And in this one, they select five new greats because it's a new age, and they have to, they have to, uh, um, you know, choose. But also, they they see a bunch of people sort of enacting their own battle of Shan of Hua Shan, and uh, uh, they're not really up to the task. These are pretty pathetic uh, heroes when measured against the the five greats who are 
sort of observing this and 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 it's funny why they even thought that they were worthy of being called the five <laughs> greats i mean you know uh, surely even like the the legend like hearing like the exploits of the previous greats would have i don't know like oh, why did they think that was their like level one sort of character with level one kung fu they can fight against people who are at level 99 already basically <laughs> I, I don't know they were what were they fighting for the title of most valiant hero and i think the, yeah. fir- the first one was for the nine yin manual right that was the first uh uh summit of Huashan. and uh but this one i think it was just for a title and and the uh and then yango just kind of uses his you know his voice kung fu to, to send them off and they and they they flee so they, they really don't turn out to be much um i think they might get one little quip in but that was about it and uh but then the more important thing happens then they they see um yen well, well they, they have this whole thing where there's a temple they go to but but they uh but after that they 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 see yen keji and xiao shangxi uh uh fleeing from from a buddhist monk and and they overhear them talking and it, and apparently they're planning on on killing all the monks and nuns at this temple so that they can stay in hiding and they've they've uh you know they've stolen a book from the the monk and we don't learn what this book is yet but then the monk arrives and uh i'm gonna butcher his name but he's a uh, uh jiwan and his disciple uh junbao who's a uh, you know the the legendary founder of Taoism of the um uh was it wudang is that the Wudang, um, yeah. and the inventor of Tai Chi, supposedly, yeah. and and became an immortal at some point in his life, <laughs> supposedly. And, uh, <laughs> and he's the character from the Jet Li movie Tai Chi Master. Um, and uh, and so, uh, you know, he, but he's just a young guy at this point. He's, he's just, you know, and, and he's a child. Like he's five years old or something, right? I think he is. I don't uh, remember his exact age, but he was young. Yeah, he was very young. Yeah. Um, but we learned that the book they stole is the nine yang manual and, and we've been dealing with the nine yin manual this whole time so we now we learned there's this whole other uh this whole other manual that's complementary to the nine yin manual and uh uh you know there's a and so the 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 monk is very polite and he doesn't try to uh harm uh yin keji uh he just tries to sort of you know get them to to, to admit that they've stolen these books and uh and they, 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 things do sort of end up in a battle, uh, you know, sort of a, a slightly comical fight between um, uh, Jun Bao and and the two the two thieves. But they didn't they they're not able to find the books on them, and so then they uh, the divine eagle sort of chases a green ape into the area, which seems like it was tamed by uh, Yin Keji and Zhao Zhangxi, and they uh, they say well, they say something about the the book being in oil. And everybody just lets them go for some reason, right? No, I, I don't know when that line is mentioned. It might not actually be mentioned in this book at all. Actually, it's just one of those things which which was mentioned in Heavenly Sword Dragon Saber. Okay. Um, as as to like where that where the the book was hidden, but I don't think it was actually mentioned in this chapter. Um, so the way and I, oh, I think ahead. what they do notice is that the monk there was something weird about the monkey. Um, and yeah, spoilers from Heavenly Sword Dragon Saber. It's probably because they cut the monkey open and put the book inside him. Hmm. 
but they but the, yeah they, they obviously did roll high enough on their, on their detect checks to find that there was a wound on the monkey and suspect that there might be a, a secret kung fu manual hidden inside the monkeys <laughs> um yeah and so and and, and, I, and I guess you know uh, you know the one of the cool things that that uh, that happens in this chapter is the five the five new greats are chosen and they are uh you know reverend Yidang, southern monk uh huang yaoshi eastern heretic uh, you know, some of them are old. <laughs> Great. Uh, Gua Jing is now northern hero. Uh, Yang Gua is western passionate hero, and Zhu Batong becomes a central urchin. So, uh, you know, so they basically they got they got all the five great slots all now filled up, and then you know you learn but, what happens. But, but who sort of spread their name? Like it's all these these things. Like okay, there's only there's only the seven of them there or whatever, right? And how how are they going to like you know? spread news that there are now the new five greats so <laughs> i think if huang yaoshi goes and tells people that like yangor is the the western passionate hero people will believe him like i think that's yeah. like the i think it, it, it's about the credibility of the people who are saying it like um like uh like you know like like jerry seinfeld gets to say who the five top comedians are sometimes do you know what i mean and people will just kind of <laughs> like okay yeah that sounds right um so i, I think that's kind of how this works um, uh, but but do we, I guess I, mean, I guess some of them are quite likely to go about like blabbing about it. But I I, I see like Yang Guan like, really giving a damn about his title, um, and Reverend Yi Deng would probably wouldn't mention it. And Guo Jing either. It would really just be down to like the yeah. um, to Double Tong and uh, and, and Huang Yao Either way, he could he might have no interest in it. Um, yeah, he, he, well no, because I think they trick him into it, um, wanting the title by. Uh, they, well, they said they were they were contemplating giving it to Zhao Long Nu or Huang Rong, even though their kung fu wasn't as good as Zhu Batong's, I think. And um, yeah, they sort of trick him into basically wanting the title. So I mean, <laughs> you reverse psychology then, basically. Uh, and I mean, maybe that maybe he had, since he admits to or since he had accepted the title, maybe we'll go around and sort of like he, he likes to brag about things as well. So it's not. After the own reason for him to sort of brag about being the central urchin and uh, that's and, true, and, uh, and then start spreading the word of the other uh, the other four as well. So that, that's true. I've also noticed that word tends to spread pretty quickly in this genre too. Like even if like there doesn't seem to be anybody present, somehow a rumor can easily sort of spread from you know uh, without. What's it's like the Elder Scrolls games where, like, if a chicken sees you killing someone, then it goes to that town guard somehow. Oh. <laughs> and there's gaming bugs. <laughs> I guess maybe in an age when there's a lot of servants that might just be hanging around, you can sort of justify yeah. it to a degree. But um, you know, like maybe there are some unmentioned servants we're not hearing about in the in the text. Um, but but yeah, I don't know. Um, but but it was I thought it was a nice closing chapter, and you get the um, and then you know you, obviously the the remainder is to be found in Heaven Sword Dragon Saber, where we get some. We don't need to spoil it now, but we get some terrible news about the Gua family and. Uh, um, and so yeah, so I don't know. What did you think of this chapter? Was it uh, was it a good closure for you, or did you? It was good. Like it, it was definitely very epilogue-y. and it, it, it was interesting. There, yeah, sort of ending it with uh, with with, with the determination of the new five greats. It was sort of like the end of a generation, end of the era, and end of the book sort of moment. There, it felt kind of. Uh, I don't know why he chose like all of these unknown people to to sort of hold the to hold. The, the Hua Shan martial tournament thing like 
before they showed up. Like, well, I, I just it's one of those things. Like, well, that's really strange. Why did they think they would be uh, the most valiant martial hero? And like, <laughs> I, I I mean maybe because all of the real greats were tending to this epic battle and dealing with serious issues, and so the martial world maybe had a sort of vacuum that was filled by nobodies. Like, yeah. and and then they had like a dispute over who is the best, and so. You know, I don't know. I don't know. It was, um, it was comical, but it was a little bit out of left field, too. So it was kind of... Uh, I wasn't sure exactly where that was coming from. But Yeah. Yeah, I, I did really like um, Zhang Junbao's sort of the, the little kid. Uh, yeah, with, with immense internal energy because he's been practicing the Nine Yang Manual this whole time. <laughs> and, you know, and, and it's quite cool that you know, neither um, him nor um, Zhe Yen... Jo Yan, Jo Yan, you know, know any martial arts because they were explicit, or at least Jo Yan was for, for, uh, explicitly forbidden from learning martial arts. Uh, but Zhang Junbao was not. Like, I think he just sort of little servant boy. He sort of picked up martial arts, or picked up internal energies from uh, Jo Yan, and now he's like, learned a few moves from Yang Guo now, which uh, probably serve will serve him quite well in the. In the in the future no and uh and, and also i think the um the monk i mean even though he didn't know kung fu either that that yang manual basically was like giving him a kung fu move because when somebody hit him like you know it rebounded back on them like 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 i think yin keji tries to punch him or something and he uh and it and it and he, and he gets thrown back i believe i can't remember exactly yeah. what happened but um so I mean, you know, I guess I, I, it's pretty cool as well because I did that sort of situation shows up in uh, Heaven Soul Dragon yeah. Saber as well, and, and I like that it's consistent. Like what this manual does is consistent throughout the series, basically, yeah. and and it's, it's the same is true for the Nine Yin manual as well. Like it was consistent for it's it, it's just been all three books, so it's consistent throughout all three of them. And the the Nine Yang manual, well, I guess it's only one chapter here, but you know, it's also consistent with what it does across the well, series. And it's nice to see when those things come back when they've sort of reached like a legendary status. Uh, I mean, I guess they are legendary now, but they're but they're being handled by characters that we know, and so like when they're when they're coveted once again, um, I don't know. It's a, um, it's interesting to see to see where it goes in the next story, um, and uh, and yeah. So I know of of you know we're getting up on the hour mark. So uh, uh, what we overall thoughts of the whole book, I guess, because we're now at the end. This is the last Return of Condor Heroes uh, uh, episode. Um, I I honestly can't decide whether like the set like so whether Return of the Condor Heroes or Heaven Sword Dragon Saber are my favorites. I'm leaning towards of Heaven Sword Dragon Saber just because like sort of it was sort of the first of the series I watched and that made a lasting impression on me. But there are lots of things that I really appreciate in Return of the Condor Heroes. Like the, the the sort of the passionate relationship between Yang Guo and Shao Lu, the breaking of tradition, um, and then you know the sort of the, how they deal with grudges throughout the series as well like and uh, yeah we, we, we have like Guo Fu who yeah has been a bit of a bitch throughout most of the book and then she realizes the reason she's a bitch is probably because she cared a bit more about Yang Guo than she was letting on and that was only very briefly when she was like realizing this and then she came, went back to being a bitch like the next paragraph basically yeah. as well <laughs> so. yeah she had that moment that moment where it's like oh she's learning and then well yeah but you know what it was more complicated than that because she had this sudden insight into why she was behaving that way around Yangua, and and uh um and i think i think it was sort of interesting like like yeah. uh you know she learns that you know 
she has this deep un unacknowledged affection for him and and uh and that's what's sort of driving so much of her behavior and she can't even tolerate it when she uncovers it she has to sort of go back to being you know that sort of bitchy character in order to to sort of shove it down i think because i think it would have all kinds of implications for her marriage and everything so um yeah and yeah so, so i was just saying like oh, there are lots of characters here who are really good like it I, it's, it's nice to see sort of a closure as well from the characters from legend of the condor heroes i mean several of them redeem themselves kind of i mean we um tien and uh um and Ouyang Feng, they yeah. they sort of have their uh, their redemption arcs, and lots of stuff gets closed off. And I no, I I I, I definitely enjoy the series, and you know, I I'd say for anyone new to the to the genre, like reading all reading the sort of trilogy of um, Legend Return and um, Heaven Sword Dragon Saber is definitely like a good way to get into the genre i mean these are classics and we always you know it's always sort of advertised as the lord of the rings of china or whatever i it's probably that sort of the expectation would be slightly different if it was lord of the rings i'd say but it's definitely um it's probably closer to sort of like robin hood style stories i don't know what the if it's like American equipment or, or whatever, but yeah, I don't know what it would be for Americans either. I, I think it's a really, I guess it's Star Wars is probably the best American comparison because it's multi generational. It's got similar, um, sort of mystic martial arts involved. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's obviously science fiction. There's huge differences. There. Like, there's huge, huge differences. Um, I, th- yeah. I think it's a really hard book to give an example in like i think i think the lord of the rings thing comes about because people struggle for something that is close to it in terms of content and the lord of the rings is like the one thing that sort of leaps to mind that seems like equally epic equally adventure oriented equally uh you know sort of border you know sort of it gets into a, a type of fantasy i suppose but like it it really is different from lord of the rings and I don't. I don't know what the best point of comparison would be. I think the thing that you've got to say to people is this is like a really widely known story, and it's not. Like... I, I, I guess we could just say that this is this is a genre-defining story. Like when yeah. people you say Wuxia, and this is this is like the, yeah, you know, it, it's not the the first Wuxia novel by by any means, but it is the, the the one story that you can just point to and say this define this encapsulates many of the Wuxia tropes that. Uh, that that modern writers will will sort of use in their yeah. stories and um and 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 it's so it's so steeped into chinese culture like yang and shaolong Lu is sort of used as the 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 ideal couple um in, in, in sort of uh, popular culture and um and yeah, you know, the nine yin manual, nine yang manual are, are, are things that you know the, the, most people know about. Like you know, there's always like parodies of it, or you know, there are jokes around it, and it's just one of those things where lots of people like, it is like both um, culturally important and also genre defining. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think I think it's definitely a good one to go to if you just want to if you want to know what the genre can be. This is the I think you can't go wrong with these stories and. I agree with you too that 
I kind of go back and forth between Return of Condor Heroes and Heaven Sword Dragon Saber. And I think the reason is because I think I kind of like remembering Return of Condor Heroes the most, but Heaven Sword Dragon Saber is always sort of the most fun one while I'm while I'm, you know, experiencing it. So I don't quite know how to put it aside from that, but like I'm always sort of going back and forth because they uh you know they, it, well they're kind of tied together, you know what I mean? Like they're all sort of connected anyways. So I guess it's 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 natural that there would be that that tugging back and forth between them. Yeah. But uh but yeah, I don't know. I I I think I think you can I think you, the whole trilogy's great. If you were only going to read one book, I'd say read either Return of Condor Heroes or uh, Heaven Sword Dragon Saber, and and if you were only going to read one, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't know. I, th- I think you should read all of them if you can. But uh, but I don't. Know, I guess I guess Heaven Sword Dragon Saber would be the one to read alone if you're only going to read one book, because that one you kind of don't. It stands alone a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like obviously it's connected. Like the events of this spill over in the first couple of chapters, but the the bulk of the story is about Uji and and it's a whole different it's like it's like so far removed from everything that's going on in uh legends in return that it can kind of stand on its own even though the backstory is relevant um but yeah i don't know um so yeah so i guess we'll uh we'll end it here this has been i've had a lot of fun doing this one and i i feel like people were receptive to it when we were doing it and uh, so, you know, maybe we'll do another one of these and with another book at some point. And, uh, in the meantime, we're going to do the, uh, 14 Amazons tonight. And then we're going to do, um, uh, I think Shadow Whip next week. I can't quite remember. Um, and we'll have another Lady 87 campaign up. Uh, so until then, we will talk to you later.